Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Before 1971, there really wasn't much of a Canadian music industry. Oh, sure, there were record labels and recording studios and promoters and agents, but we didn't have what you'd call a first world industry. Canada was basically a backwater, a place where the big labels had branch offices. Anyone who wanted to make it big had to leave the country, usually for the United States. But then came the Canadian content laws in January 1971, and overnight it became law that Canadian radio stations had to devote 30% of their playlists to Canadian artists. This created an artificial demand for this music, to which a whole lot of people screamed bloody murder. But this demand needed to be serviced. It was the law. So a modern music industry grew up around it, all the infrastructure required to have a proper domestic music scene. That meant more record labels, more recording studios, more promoters, more agents, more everything. A domestic star system began to emerge. Canadians started buying more music by Canadian artists. And those artists who didn't want to bolt for the United States found that they could actually make a pretty decent living by staying in Canada. It took about 20 years for our music industry to mature into something truly world-class, and by the time we got to the 1990s, there was this sense that our best could compete with anyone or anything in the world. And that's when everything exploded. Canadian Generation Xers not only embraced the alt-rock that was coming from the States, you know, grunge, industrial, punk, whatever, but also all the homegrown stuff. Walking into a store in, say, 1995 meant being faced with racks and racks of Canadian product right up front, and people were mad for it. This is our second half of our remembrance of some great Canadian can-rock bands of the 1990s. This is the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. That's I'm Mother Earth with Not Quite Sonic from their debut record, Dig, which came out in the summer of 1993. And that record was, was a shock because this band came out of nowhere, yet were so accomplished, so tight, so together. They were formed in 1990 when Brothers Jag and Christian Tana met the mono-named vocalist Edwin at a shared rehearsal space. 
They recorded some demos, played some gigs, and ended up being the subject of a bidding war. That album was recorded in Los Angeles and produced by Mike Klink, the guy who did Appetite for Destruction for Guns N' Roses. Now that you know that, the intro to that last song, Not Quite Sonic, makes a little more sense, doesn't it? Maybe a little inspiration from Slash's opening bits from Welcome to the Jungle? I'm just saying. That debut record went platinum in Canada. The second, Scenery and Fish, went double platinum. And then a crisis. Edwin decided he didn't want to be part of the band anymore, so he was replaced by Brian Byrne. There was another album called Blue Green Orange in 1999, and a final record entitled Quicksilver Meat Dream in 2003. And then they broke up. Everybody went off to do other things. Brian eventually ended up working as a radio guy in Halifax. He also made a hard run auditioning to be the new singer in Stone Temple Pilots. Didn't work out, but he gave it a shot. Jag Tana started a record label and produced a few acts as well as working on a TV project or two. And Christian Tana stayed with music, working with his brother's record label and taking a gig as the general manager of an event venue in Peterborough and working as an event planner for a theater in Coburg, Ontario. Edwin went solo and released three records. Then in 2008, he joined up with Mike Turner, ex of Our Lady Peace, and Jeff Burroughs of the Tea Party in a band called Crash Karma, and they had one record in 2010. But then, in 2012, a reunion with Brian as singer. That lasted for about three years. And then in early 2016, a series of reunion dates across the country. And uh, with any luck, this, this reunion will stick. Oh, uh, Brian, yes, he's, he's doing one more thing. He's now very deep into the world of cryptocurrency. Hello again, I'm Alan Cross, and there's a lot more of that coming up. This is part two of an effort to catch up with some of the great Canadian can-rock bands of the 90s. You know, those groups that were part of the domestic alternative explosion in that decade. Some of these groups are still together. Some get together once in a while. And some are done forever. Bottom line, though, is that if you ever listened to rock radio in the 90s, sat around watching much music, or bought a copy of Big Shiny Tunes, you are going to find much to like over the rest of this episode. For example, let's talk the Doughboys. They were born in Montreal in about 1987, formed by a guy named John Kasner. And for the first five years... They spun their wheels, but by the time they got to 1992, they had a debut album entitled Crush. Solid hit. And this song became a top 40 hit. And here's that much music reference. It was used as the theme song for the show The Wedge, which was all about promoting the alt-rock side of things back in the 90s. It was around that time that singer John Kastner's mom used to call me on the request lines at the radio station. It was like, hello, Mrs. Kastner. Oh, you'd like to hear Shine Again? Okay, for your boy. I get it. The Doughboys with Shine from 1992. A couple of Where Are They Now notes about them. Last I heard, drummer Paul Newman worked as one of Coldplay's road crew. Guitarist Jonathan Cummings became a music writer. And leader John Kastner became a composer for film and TV. He also ended up marrying actress Jessica Parry. Remember her? She played Megan Draper, Don Draper's wife in the series Mad Men. They have a son together. This next band is related to the Doughboys. Scott McCullough was the original guitarist for the group, but he left early on to form his own band called Rusty. He teamed up with singer Ken McNeil in Toronto, pulled a full group around them, and started recording indie records. There was an EP entitled Fluke in 1994, followed by an album called Fluke 
I know that's confusing, and two more albums before the end of the 90s. But there were issues, not least of which were financial, and Rusty called it a day. There was a farewell show in Toronto on November 25th, 2000. The band scattered. One of the guys, I think it was Ken, found a job as a bricklayer and construction worker in northern Ontario. But then a reunion. Rusty got back together for the North by Northeast Festival in April 2011 and have maintained a loose relationship ever since. In 2018, they issued a crowdfunded album entitled Dogs of Canada, first album in 20 years. So, yes, Rusty is with us again. This is the second half of a two-part show on great Canadian rock bands of the 1990s, specifically the ones that may have gone missing or at least fallen off. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The radar. And we're remembering some of the great records they put out back then. Rhymes with Orange was a Vancouver band influenced by the Manchester sound coming out of the UK. And not surprising, uh, given that their singer was actually born in Britain. They were formed in 1991, with their best years coming between 1992 and 1995, which covered the first two albums and featured a number of very radio-friendly singles. There was also a Juno nomination in 1996. Before we get into Where Are They Now, let's have a listen to one of those radio singles from the early 90s. This was their biggest hit. It made it onto the top 30 on the pop charts in 1994 and was used in a successful beer commercial. Here's Rhymes with Orange and Toy Train. From a 1994 album entitled Trapped in the Machine, that's Vancouver's Rhymes with Orange, with their most popular single, Toy Train. Now, technically, the band is still with us. They never officially broke up. They sold about 100,000 albums over their time together. And although there have been a number of lineup changes, the group continues to exist in some form or another. I can tell you about a couple of members. Kevin Spencer, who is originally from Hamilton, joined the band in 1996 and then went on to be a performer in the touring version of the musical Rent. He appeared at over 500 performances. He's also worked and toured with Daniel Lanois. And today, he's living and working in music in Atlanta. And then there's original keyboardist Bob Deeth. He's a lawyer by training and worked in entertainment law. He ended up as the executive director of Music BC and has written a couple of books on how to navigate the Canadian music industry. He also has a science fiction novel entitled The Displaced. Let's stay in Vancouver for pure. I thought these guys were great. Like Rhymes with Orange, they were formed in 1991. A demo attracted the attention of the Canadian branch of Reprise Records, and they released a series of EPs and albums through to 1998. One of them was produced by Jerry Harrison, the keyboardist for the Talking Heads. A couple of songs made it onto Hollywood movie soundtracks. There was a Juno nomination for Best New Group, and they had some really big opening gigs. And this song, which was probably their biggest, 
was the winner of the Best Alternative Video Award at the 1993 Much Music Video Awards. This is Pure with Blast. From a 1992 album entitled Pure Finalia, that's Vancouver's Pure, with a big radio single and much music video called Blast. Pure broke up for good in 2000. Singer Jordy Birch has stayed with music. He had a fantastic project called Guilty About Girls in 2008. I heard a lot of their music. That should have been a big success, but they just didn't get the traction they needed. Guitarist Todd Simcoe went on to work with Biff Naked before getting a series of gigs as a producer and engineer. He died in April 2012 at the age of 45. It was a suicide following a long period of depression. It appears he jumped into the Fraser River and drowned. Still in the West, we have the Grapes of Wrath. They came from Kelowna in 1983. Three guys here, Kevin Kane and Chris and Tom Hooper. By 1987, they had a deal with Network Records in Vancouver and recorded a couple of very well-received albums. There was Now and Again in 1989 and These Days in 1991, which, by the way, was produced by John Leckie, a guy who had hit a career peak producing the Stone Roses debut album. There were plenty of singles during that period, and Grapes of Wrath became a staple on the radio for a while. But then the band split. It might have been creative differences, or it might have been an issue over their name. The people entrusted with the legacy of John Steinbeck's novel of the same name uh, apparently weren't keen on having to share it with this Canadian rock band, so that might have been a problem. Kevin went solo, while the rest of the group continued under the name Ginger, and they did all right for a bit. There was a partial Grapes of Wrath reunion in 1999, which resulted in an album entitled Field Trip. Acoustic gigs followed before a full reunion in 2010, and that reunion has mostly stuck. Let's go back to the Now and Again album. This is 1991, and here's a top 20 single from that record. Tell me all the things I was Could have made this bigger difference To all the things you are Grapes of Wrath with All the Things I Wasn't from their 1991 album Now and Again. One more West Coast band. You could argue that next to 5440, the biggest alt-rock band in the 90s to come out of Vancouver was Econoline Crush. Within a year of forming in 1992, they nailed down a Juno nomination. Within four years, they had a couple big albums and were touring with everyone from Kiss to the Foo Fighters to Green Day. Songs showed up in TV shows like Melrose Place and in ESPN sports coverage, as well as in some PlayStation games. Econoline Crush's first two albums, Affliction from 1996 and The Devil You Know in 1997, were their most successful. They went gold and they went platinum. But after a third album entitled Brand New History in 2001, they just called it quits. Singer Trevor Hurst then formed his own band called Hurst, before an Econoline Crush reunion took hold in 2008, which appears to still be in effect. Here's a single from 1997 that made the singles charts in both Canada and the U.S. It's Econoline Crush and All That You Are. Econoline Crush with All That You Are from 1997. This would be a good time to point out that singer Trevor Hurst has been the only constant member of Econoline Crush. 
there are almost three dozen former members. Like I said earlier, Econoline Crush is still sporadically active, but Trevor has a new gig as a nurse. He spent time in places like Manitoba First Nations Reserves helping people deal with addiction. After having his own issues with alcohol, which he dealt with by going to AA, he went back to school at Brandon University and got his nursing degree. He was 45 at the time. So talk about an interesting second act, right? A couple of more Where Are They Now stories featuring Canadian bands from the 90s, and we'll get to Treble Charger and The Real Statics next. I have two more Where Are They Now stories about can rock bands of the 90s. Wither the Rheostatics. Their history goes back to 1978 in Toronto. They became friends with the Tragically Hip through the 80s and 90s, and they were never exactly commercial-sounding, but their unconventional and eclectic approach to rock made them beloved by critics and very influential in certain places. The Rio's initial run was from 78 to 2007. There was a brief reunion, and since 2015, they've played the occasional gig together. There have been a few lineup changes over the years, but things have been remarkably stable. Guitarist and singer Dave Bedini and bass player Tim Vesley have been part of the band from the beginning. Drummer Dave Clark goes back practically as far. He was there within a few months of the band's founding and stayed until the middle 90s. It's interesting to point out that the Rios were into funk and R&B in the beginning and actually had a horn section. But when they wanted to move beyond that, guitarist Martin Tielli was brought in. This would be about 1985. And those four guys have formed the core of the band ever since. Their best years were from about 1991 through to maybe 1997, the period in which they released albums like Melville and Whale Music and Introducing Happiness. But by 2006, all the magic had worn off and everybody wanted to do their own thing. That is before the inevitable reunion. Before we get to the where are they now part of the story, let's hear some Rheostatics from 1995. This is the Introducing Happiness album and the single is Claire. The Rio Statics from 1995 with Claire. Now, realizing that the Rio still reconvened for the occasional gig, what are the members doing otherwise? Well, Dave Bedini is the most visible. He's become a very well-regarded writer of books and a newspaper columnist. He likes to write about hockey a lot, but he has other interests like, uh, obviously, writing about music. I think I have 12 Bedini books in my library. Twelve! He's written a couple of plays, he's written music for movies and TV, and he's now the editor of the West End Phoenix, an actual print newspaper in Toronto. We can also track down Martin Tielli. He's become quite the painter and sells prints of his works. His paintings have also been adapted for other uses like, um, well, pillowcases. And like Dave, Martin has written music for TV and film. Plus, there are several solo albums as well. One more. What about Treble Charger? They originally came from Sault Ste. Marie in 1992 under the name NC-17, like the uh, American movie rating. But then they found out that some American band already had dibs on that and were making noises about calling a lawyer. So rather than fight that, they changed their name to Treble Charger. The first Treble Charger release was Self-Equal Title in 1995. That started out as an indie record, but got them a major label deal resulting in two re-releases, one of which was part CD-ROM, which was really groundbreaking for the time. If you stuck this thing into your computer, you were rewarded with a digital zine that featured some of Triple Charger's Kenrock friends. 
really nice gesture, really cool for 1995 or six or whenever it came out. The re-release of self-equal title worked out very well, resulting in a Juno nomination for best alternative album. Before we track everybody down, let's play a song called Red. Now, the original recording dates back to when the band was still indie and still being called NC-17. But then it was re-recorded for the Maybe It's Me album in 1997. And that helped push this record to gold status. The re-recorded version of Red from Treble Charger from 1997. The band had a 14-year run coming to an end in February 2006. It was just time. Guitarist Bill Priddle wanted to spend more time working with Broken Social Scene, which he has. Singer Greg Norrie has had his hands full with managing and producing a band he discovered. You might have heard of them. They're called Some 41. And, uh, you know, they did okay. Greg also found plenty of time managing other bands, working with beer companies, finding TV gigs, and a ton of other stuff. Former drummer Trevor McGregor is also a composer for TV and film, and another former drummer, Morris Palter, now has a degree in contemporary percussion performance and is sought out by composers around the world. I hope these last two programs managed to backfill what happened to some of the great can rock bands of the 90s for you. Well, we're totally up to date with... You know, the Tragically Hip and the Bare Naked Ladies, 5440, Some 41, Matt Good, Art Lady Peace. I mean, some of these groups have had long and profitable careers. It's always good and always fun to catch up with names that we may have misplaced over the years. I can still think of a few we need to track down, but we'll save those for another time. And if you have someone who should be added to this list that we've compiled over the last two programs, let me know by dropping a line to alan at alancross.ca. Don't forget that all the ongoing history programs are being remade into podcasts. Most people seem to go to iTunes, but you can subscribe and download just about anywhere you can get on-demand audio. Please rate and review, too. Otherwise, we can connect on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time. Thanks to Gilles LeBlanc for some of the Where Are They Now research. And technical production is by Rob Johnston. I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts.